welcome back to Crane Kick Commentaries. As always, I'm your host, Jake Domastro, and as always, I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Keaton Meyer. Hello, Keaton. Hello, hello, hello. A long time it has been. Yeah, it's uh, we missed a week. Uh, yeah, Keaton, I, uh, I, had, I had canker sores so bad I couldn't speak. <laughs> yes. It was unpleasant. So, uh, so I did not speak. So here we go into Star Trek The Motion Picture Part 2. Yeah, not to be confused with Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, very, like, maybe we'll do that one day because that's a good movie. Maybe, but, yeah. Um, no, yeah, this is the first, the first film of the series, and this is our second part of it. And this is a big part because last week we talked a lot about the... Uh, uh, the journey to ex- this exactly, film. Exactly, exactly. Last week was more about Gene's, the journey. Gene's uh, journey through the desert. Exactly. It was the we talked about Gene's desert desert uh period. Um yeah. and then uh what else did we talk about? We did uh oh yeah, the six degrees uh, of of Stargate. Stargate, so. yeah, we did that. Yeah. Um so yeah, this week we're gonna actually talk about the making of the film and there's a lot of good stuff, so I'm 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 pretty excited about this week. Uh cool. Oh, we have one thing to get through. One one yes. thing just to look at, I think, before we uh before we get into everything though. Yeah, so this is our uh this is our segment which I'm calling Extra Track. Okay, so uh, on Extra Trek today, we're going to talk about uh, the episode of the original series that is almost exactly the same as this film. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I think <laughs> the the astute Trek fans uh, out there throughout the whole first episode will, will have surely picked up on yeah, that um, and that we didn't really talk about it. <laughs> you no, know, but we will talk about it today because- yeah, exactly. uh, there is an episode of the original series. I believe it's season two. Uh, yeah, I don't have the episode open. I need to open it. It's called The Changeling. All right. And yes, it was season two, episode three. Um, and in this episode, you know, tell me if this sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, the Enterprise... Uh, goes to investigate a uh, mysterious disappearance of uh, of a colony. Hmm. And uh and they find this uh very powerful seeming like uh enemy that seems to it it, it, it seems to have the power to destroy the enterprise uh very quick like it, it, it the enterprise is no match for it, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they it's... find that in fact it's only a meter in size, which is different. <laughs> That's a little different. That's slightly different. That's different. Uh, but uh, they find that it's transmitting a simple binary code. Ooh. Which, you know, that might sound familiar. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, it beams aboard their ship after they respond to its message. What is its message? I can't actually remember what the message was. I am no man. Well, he they he does say that. 
when he gets beamed aboard, he says, I am nomad. I am perfect. Okay, <laughs> we'll get into that. Because <laughs> the, the end, the, the way they deal with this is also different. Yes, but yes. Let's focus on the similarity Yeah, here. sorry, 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 sorry. They beam aboard this probe, which calls itself Nomad. And they find out that Nomad was a uh, an old probe. I don't know if they said it was launched by NASA, but I think they might have said that. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think they just say yes. Yeah, it's 21st and, uh, century. Yeah, 20, 21st century. Uh, I can't remember what year they said it was. But uh, they find out that it's a, it's a space probe from Earth that uh, has come back, but is somehow uh, all super powerful now all of a sudden. And, was uh, launched, sorry, it was launched from Earth in 2002. Good, okay, good, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. good, good call so on that. Know, um, just so you know. Go on, And uh, it, it, it finds out that the Enterprise is infested. Oh, no. I think that's the word it uses, infested. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> with uh, impure life forms, right? I wonder what those Imperfect. are. Sorry? I wonder what those are. Yeah, and, and that refers to the, the Enterprise crew. Um, yeah, well, because the Enterprise how, is pretty perfect unto itself. However, it, 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 it calls Kirk the creator. What? I don't remember yeah. that. It calls Kirk the creator, and it, 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 it obeys him, more or less, because it believes that it's that he's the creator. Yeah. So uh, while they're trying to find out... Anyway, a bunch of shit happens, and uh, yeah, yeah. the, the probe an ends up killing Scotty. <laughs> Oh right, that's that's rough. That's a rough. Uh, and erasing Uhura's memory. It's pretty pretty dark shit. Uh, now the probe is like, oh yeah, sorry, my bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Scotty back to life, but fuck Uhura or whatever. I don't know. Like He's I dead, can't do Jim. shit about that. Sorry? He's dead, Jim. Yeah, I know exactly. So anyway, they bring back Scotty back to life and shit like that, but. Then they're like, well, we can't restore Uhura's memory, but, you know, we can re-educate her, which is really weird. We can weird. reanimate Scott, Scotty. Yeah, but, but we can re-educate Uhura, which is what they do, and they teach her to read again. That's weird. And then this never comes up again ever in the series. That's really weird. That this happened to her. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, some strange choices. The basic similarities are that we have this alien probe Sorry, this probe from Earth. Yeah. And it goes off and it comes back and it's like, I'm going to come back and destroy Earth. Yeah, well, I'm going to rid, not, I'm going to rid Earth of its human population. Yeah, exactly. Be- because exactly. it doesn't, it doesn't understand its relationship yeah. to humanity. I believe Spock mind melds with it in the episode as well. It does. So yeah. It does mind meld with Spock, yeah. Um, yeah. And somehow Spock can handle it. Yeah, but, I uh, feel like it's not quite as, uh, uh, devastating in the episode. <laughs> yeah, but in in the process of mind melding, Spock finds out that this is uh that there is some other probe that these two probes crashed into each other, and it crashed into an alien probe, uh, and they kind of like repaired mm-hmm. each other together, right? Like they I, well, like I, I... merged into one, and then. It gained all this, like, you know, super powerful stuff, but it corrupted its memory banks. No, fuck. Sort of like V'ger, you know what I mean? Exactly like V'ger, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's And so, uh, but it, 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 it's the other probes, uh, you know, 
mission was to uh, collect and sterilize soil samples. Right. That was the uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it interpreted this as like, oh, I need to sterilize everything. Oh no! Yeah, that's that's a that's a rough interpretation. Yeah, um, because it was all fucked up and broken, and parts of his memory banks were erased. And yeah. then, like in the end, uh, Kirk does his classic thing, where uh, he you know debates logic with a computer, yeah, he, and somehow he, causes it to go into an infinite loop and explode. Yeah, he beats the computer at logic, He's... which is, you know, very classic Star Trek thing to do. It's great. Yeah. Well, human, also, the human ability to wholly reason. Wholly unbelievable, but, you know, the human who am I to debate Star Trek? Uh, exactly. The human ability to reason far surpasses any machine's ability to coldly and mechanically calculate. Yeah. Also that, like, you know, anytime a computer uh, can't oh, yeah, figure something a, out, it completely yeah, explodes. Yeah. If it gets into a it, loop, like, it's going to catches fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Well, he's just thinking it's just like incorporating the like uh short circuiting <laughs> like yeah, exactly. idea. Yeah. Into But anyway, into there's that. a lot of similarities between this episode and the film. Like Yes. Uh so much so that like you know, I might consider the the film to be just an expanded version of this episode script. Yeah, really. It's kind of just like a a a movie, a feature length higher budget version yeah with you know better writers <laughs> yeah so or don't better you, don't better you, paid writers right, right. let's put it uh, that way better yeah. paid well, writers I mean, with more time on their hands gene apparently was one of the writers of this episode oh really well that makes sense that he felt comfortable repurposing it then. <laughs> exactly um but yeah I think uh I think there's a lot of a lot of yeah, similarities. Yeah, it's a sick you know? episode. Viger and Nomad, they're pretty much the same. Yeah, Viger and Nomad. Except uh, Viger is the prop has a lot more money in it. Yeah, it's and it's not and floating around on fishing wire. And Nomad is just inherently a fucking cooler name, or objectively rather. Yeah, it is. I get, I get well, yeah, why anyway, it had to be Viger, but Viger's not a good name. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that one of the interesting things about the v- like Voyager is that like Voyager the Voyager probes were like literally being launched around the time of this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's a whole other conversation. The, you know, the Voyager, the greatest ship in Starfleet. The greatest <laughs> ship at Starfleet's disposal. You you're saying it's better than the Enterprise. Look look at how it's put up with more than the Enterprise has. It's had to it's had to be Really? It's had I'm not saying it's better. That. I never I said nothing. I'm just saying that it You said it put up with more. It's been through more stress. Do we, okay, so do we count like a specific enterprise? Oh, good point because there are yeah. Or do we count all the enterprises? Well, if you're counting all the enterprises, then obviously there's no competition. Or I I would I would argue that you know the original Enterprise, or at least the one from TOS, which also appears in the film. Yeah. Although it's been upgraded. Yeah, it's um, been very, yeah, very upgraded. I think we only see all the shit that Voyager has been through because Voyager ran for more seasons. That's that's true. Like, I'm sure there's a ton of shit that happened to 
the Enterprise off screen that we didn't see. And judging yeah, but, by what happened on screen, you know, there's got to be like. But crazy you see, the shit. Enterprise, the Enterprise had like you know, uh, uh, the the whole backing of like Starfleet's engineering like uh, wing. They had hundreds of thousands of minds working on fixing it and getting it in, in ship ready. Whereas I don't know, Voyager in, in, was in, relying on the ingenuity of Captain Janeway and her. Uh, yeah, but I'm saying like you know. Th- Keep in mind this this was like back in like like Voyager is like hundreds of years after like basically I think basically a hundred years after TOS and it's like you know the the galaxy was like the Wild West back then man like you know you didn't it's have true. support from Starfleet like like you did later it's true That's like a good point. so you know it's true I, I find that uh, you know Kirk was up against a lot of the same similar things that. Uh, Janeway was up against. It's true. Yeah, they had a lot of similar. Yeah. Anyway, this is a conversation yeah. for a different podcast. Now Picard, that's that's a guy who uh, who had all the backing. Uh, he him, had it know? easy. He had it easy. Yeah. <laughs> that's why he shouldn't be a captain. He should be a communications officer. Well, um, uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> but that's <laughs> anyway. That's, let's continue. That's a conversation for another time. So. Is that is that all? Is that the conversation about Trek, the episode? Yeah, that's extra Trek. Anyway, let's talk about the production of this Star Trek film. Yeah. The Star Trek, the motion picture. So last All right, week, we're 15 minutes in, and now we're talking about the film. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. So as we mentioned last week, the motion picture is fully greenlit. Production was set to begin in 1977 because uh, of the... The the TV show Star Trek Phase Two, as you mentioned last, yeah, like last the canceled episode. TV show, yeah, yeah, and then they were well, it was canceled because they were like, let's it, just fucking make a movie instead, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 they aborted, should we say? Yeah, yeah, it never never came to be, came to pass, and then they like just kind of changed the story, they just upgraded everything basically. Um, yeah, they just made the changeling, but with more money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead of making the changeling over the series of the whole Star Trek Phase 2, they did it in a film. Um, to be honest, I think if Phase 2 had happened, they probably would have basically redone that episode. Yeah, probably. They Totally. Yeah. I'm sure he would have revisited a lot of stuff. Well, um, I mean, there are a couple... Like, there's an episode of Voyager that I can think of with similar themes. I mean, yeah. Voyager does revisit a lot of similar themes that the, the, yeah. the original series does. Um, anyway, I'm desperate to talk about Voyager, as you know, but uh, yeah. it's actually not somehow not really relevant. I don't know, man. Voyager, like we we're talking about Voyager a lot in, in this. Uh, well, Voyager, yeah, Voyager. Yeah. God, <laughs> I know. Yeah, um, I know exactly. So this is the point when uh, uh, Wise is hired to direct. I fucking forgot his first name. Um, Robert, Robert Wise. Wise. When Robert Wise is hired to direct, um, and yeah, we, director Robert Wise. Yeah, and we talked about kind of like him a little bit last week, um, yeah. but we, him and him and uh, uh, Gene Roddenberry really get along. Apparently, they like they kind of have they like go through well, the I think story from together. The same generation, partially as well. Yeah, they're 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 from the same generation, and they're uh, 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 like minded about you know. Uh, religion and space and philosophy or uh, stuff right. like that. So they started to like working on the uh, on it and Wise said he liked the story but he said the action and the visuals were were not really that good. 
Sorry, Robert Wise said that? Yeah, yeah. That was his take on the script when he when he uh, came right. into the picture. It seems, though, at this point that Gene was kind of just, like, fucking burnt out. <laughs> from Yeah, I can imagine. From just, like, ten years of writing Star Trek scripts. Just over and over and over. Yeah, and none of them getting made. <laughs> like, I imagine his nerves were probably pretty frayed at that point. Um, yeah. But, so they hired another another writer. Apparently... Apparently, Gene pranked him. Oh, yeah. What did he do? What they did was they got one of the actresses to pretend to be his secretary. Um, to be even Gene's though, secretary? No, to be they, Harold Livingston's. They're like, we've given you... Th- part of the film is you get this secretary. Um, and basically, she just like hit on him and was the worst secretary that she could be. Oh yeah. Do and you was, do you know which actress it was? She might not have been in this film. Oh okay. Anyway, how long how long did she commit to this for? Cuz I feel like this I, is a, it was that's like a, a high effort joke. I think it was like a full day thing. <laughs> like cuz okay, yeah, yeah, right. Because she like uh, again, she like was just trying to be the worst secretary ever. She like kept going into his office while he was writing and stuff and like interrupting mm-hmm. him. The whole point, I think, was to try and make him go crazy. And I think at a certain point, he looked like he was going to snap. So they, like, <laughs> they uh, let him in on it. Anyway, he seemed to be, he didn't seem to bother him too much because uh, he was a good sport about it. Um, so they bring uh, Leonard Nimoy in because at first, you know, he wasn't really interested. Or he had said that he wasn't interested, like, publicly. Well, he wasn't going to be in phase two. Exactly. He, cause yeah, he had said publicly, I believe, that he would never do Spock again, and they were they were not gonna recast Spock. No, no way. Um, so basically, they had to write in Spock somehow. <laughs> so that's that's how that kind of came to came to be. Um, so Spock wasn't originally in the script. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, because he if he wasn't in the series and they were basically working off stuff from the series, then yeah. You know. it, I bet Gene was like, yes, now he can mind meld with him. <laughs> yeah, and they can do the whole Kulinar thing. Yeah, well, I bet they had like a different uh, Vulcan mind melding with it in the original script. Anyway, um, when Harold Livingston, uh, when he came in to the... Uh... Yeah, so when Harold came in, this is what he said about the state of the story. He said, the basic concept of the story was unworkable. We had a marvelous antagonist. <laughs> If I do say so myself, <laughs> so omnipotent that for us to defeat or even to communicate with it or have any kind of relationship made the initial story false. Uh, here's this gigantic machine that's a million years further advanced than we are. Now, how the hell can we possibly deal with this? On what level? As the story developed, everything worked until the very end. How do you resolve this thing? If humans can defeat this marvelous machine, then it's really not so great, is it? Or if it really is great, we uh, will we like those humans who defeat it? Um, should they defeat it? Who is this? Who is the story's hero anyway? That was the problem. We experimented with all so- kinds of approaches: theological, aesthetic, philosophical, comical, anything. We didn't know what to do with the ending. We always ended up against a blank wall. I would like to see the comedy ending. <laughs> yeah, I really want to see it. How- <laughs> What what would that look like? Because <laughs> uh, like, I feel like we end up 
with probably the philosophical version. <laughs> yeah, because I think that's the easiest way to make it kind of ambiguous. Who the because there's no hero like or not no hero. There's no. What like, are you talking about? Fucking no, Kirk and Spock and McCoy are the heroes. Well, obviously, but they're. I just mean there's no uh, antagonist really. Leader. In the in the end. Oh well, he 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 comes around. Exactly. At this point, like, it it seems like Robert Wise brought in uh, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy to like consult on the script. Right, because we know bringing on William Shatner to help make the story is a great idea. <laughs> yeah, which that 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 struck me as like maybe not the best call, but. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. maybe it's just so that he would feel involved and so that he wouldn't complain later. It could have been that. It could have just been to satiate him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, I think, because uh, Nimoy later becomes, like, pretty involved with, like, writing and directing the series. So, yeah. like, he seems like a good call there. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, well, I feel like when they do this, oftentimes it's just to make the actors feel included. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're probably right. Yeah, I I think it just kind of like became a nightmare. The script though, like they just I don't know if they well yeah a... you know they they were saying they they started shooting it before they even finished the last third of it. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't know if it was a too many cooks in the kitchen situation or if it was a uh, they couldn't like. Well, I think it partially. It's like I think you know there were some very grandiose ideas, and that... it's one of those things where like you know. On in your head, it's really good, but then when you try to like put it down on paper and then put it onto the screen, it kind of doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they're never like, as good as the thing in your head. Well, it's kind of like they're really lofty ideas that yeah like, don't really uh, come down to earth very easily. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, and like I mean, when you start picking apart the details, especially when you have to, you know, show all the details in the film. Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh. Something that you notice, uh, there's a lot of Gene Roddenberry's work, actually. Like, a lot of the episodes, the ones that he wrote yeah, yeah, of TOS are all, like, that. They end with just, like, the, like, like <laughs> fade yeah. to light. <laughs> kind of, you know? yeah. Yeah. They're all, like, the end of 2001. <laughs> yeah. They all, they're all in, in that, of that vibe. Mm. So... <laughs> The script was really a fucking nightmare. Like it got to the point where it's being re- rewritten like several times a day. Yeah, which is insane to think about. Like, it, and it confused the actors to the point, uh, where they had to start like writing down what hour the draft was. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So it's like this was this is the draft from two p.m. Like, wait, do you have the what the two p.m. draft or the five p.m. draft? <laughs> Right. Like, uh, like, actually, that makes me think. Uh, I don't know if they color coded it because that's they a did. good. Uh, they did color code it. They did, and they said by the end it was like a fucking like, uh, like the working script was a fucking like, every page was a different color. Oh really? Wow. They yeah. Were like, we, cause... we got we got really far down the list. He said they were like okay. at first the first we were using like blue, uh, green, and then it got to like fuchsia and like yeah eventually you run through all the colors right yeah and like you know that means what that means is you know the actors are rehearsing their lines moments before they're 
shooting. Like that's exactly like not, yeah. Not a great way to work as an actor. No, no probably not. <laughs> uh, but I you can know, imagine. This is uh, this is what you get when you try to uh, try to contain the uh, the grand ideas of Gene Roddenberry on exactly. such a finite medium as film. Exactly, his, his there is no medium broad enough to to fully contain his 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 vast his vision. vision. Exactly, yeah. it just can't be done in this on this no. physical plane. No. Um, you know, you know, maybe it would. Uh, it would require filling up uh, the entire space, the final frontier, with nice. with his ideas. Yeah, it, it would. It really would. Um, he called Gene. He called translating the episode into film, like the episode from Star Trek Phase Two, I believe. Yeah, is what he's talking which about. Is I, in itself is copied from. Yeah. No, the like changeling. Uh, the the changeling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He called it quote a writer's nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, that always seems weird, because uh, it's like, I feel like normally, when you're writing, you're trying to take something that's like, you know, a really broad idea, and like narrow it down, whereas that's actually kind of the opposite. How do you mean? Well, he started with an episode, which is a like, 45 minute deal. Yeah. And you're trying to blow it up to. It's true, you gotta like, whatever. infuse more. <laughs> Yeah, into it, because um, yeah. yeah, he was saying something like, uh, it, "It it was like, as soon as you, it was it was the kind of story where as soon as you start to pick it apart, just more questions get raised, especially about the ending." I think is specifically what he was talking about, which is the same stuff that uh, 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 Livingston was talking about, like the same kind right. of issue. Yeah. With like well, the, you, there was just no satisfying way to end it. I think they, yeah, exactly. The conclusion, right? Yeah, except um, what they came up with. Well, you know, the, I think the jury's out on that. Yeah, yeah, the jury's definitely still out on that one, and it will be for a while, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so even I think Gene even started fucking regretting the choice <laughs> to write it like this. He was like, oh, I wish I could just fucking start again, but we've already started filming. Yeah, there's no way you can do that. Yeah. Um but you know, they get they powered through. So, uh last week we mentioned briefly, well, you mentioned you brought up Isaac Asimov was brought in. To yes, he the was. Studio. Um and apparently his role was kind of like to to like prove to the studio executives that like it was a viable idea. Like that, it was like a, a a good science fiction idea, and then secondly, he was also supposed to like kind of be like uh, like sort of like an ambassador almost to the science fiction community. Like he was like the science right. fiction community will accept this. Um, and to to kind of expand on this, there's a, there's actually a letter here from uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg to Gene Roddenberry oh, and to Robert Wise. Or oh, to uh, Gene Roddenberry yeah, yeah, and Robert Wise. And it's about Isaac a- Asimov. Should we read the letter? Yeah, I'll read the letter. As I mentioned to you, Isaac Asimov has read the latest draft of Star Trek, and he feels that with the possible exception of the wormhole, the science fiction community will readily accept what is currently in our script. The generally accepted theory by the science fiction community is that a wormhole is the area between a black hole and a white hole. 
it is assumed that one could not enter a wormhole without having first passed through a black hole. Since this is not the case in our script, it is Isaac's feeling that a small fraction of the sci-fi community could take exception to this. <laughs> Isaac suggested that if it is possible to change this one word in the post-production of this film, so maybe they had already shot this bit, then we should. However, he feels that the number of people that will pick up on this inaccuracy is small. Isaac feels it would be more accurate, as well as acceptable to the sci-fi fans, if we call it a, quote, temporal tunnel. <laughs> the vague definition of which is a time tunnel, in which travel and time are distorted. Given the above data, I think we should make the effort to correct this, if possible, during post-production. <laughs> okay, so I, if I recall correctly, they called it a wormhole in the film. They did call it a wormhole. Yeah. Uh, so, normally... I I consider myself kind of a stickler for accuracy in films. Like, you know, if you can, if you like have the information, and it's you may as well get it right. You, you, know you tend I mean? to be a stickler, I find, for, like, like when they misuse, like, like violently well, the, misuse gear shit. Like like in the Star Wars movie when they, when they called something like an oscillator that just, like, like blatantly <laughs> had no oscillation, like, you know, involved yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, well, okay, that kind of thing really bothers me, but it's like, it doesn't bother me that they got it wrong. What bothers me is that it could have taken them two seconds to figure out that it was wrong. <laughs> like the the wormhole thing? No, this doesn't bother me. Oh, it's right. Merely because from my understanding, you know, I'm not a physicist or whatever. Maybe I'd have to ask Felix about this. Yeah, I was thinking maybe we should have brought Felix I in. don't think that we understand wormholes well enough, like, to say definitively that this isn't is or is not how they work. Yeah, like I was just gonna say, I don't, I don't fucking know. Like, fucking seems yeah. seems so reasonable. The kind of thing that bothers me is when it's something that you know the answer is readily available. Right. When and it's like you just actual... didn't take the time to like figure out what the proper usage of this word is. Right. 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 Yeah. It was just like bad techno babble. Because Star exactly. Trek is, is, like... is the master of techno babble, but yeah. You know. Well, the thing I love about Star Trek techno babble. Is that all of it is fake? Yeah, exactly. Like it's none, all made up. None of the so words. You don't mean have anything. any risk of like you know stepping on any like real science and getting. It's like real the hydrophasing uh, quantum converters. <laughs> Those words are completely meaningless. It's like yeah, exactly. So it's like, in my opinion, if you're gonna use like you know technical jargon, you should either get it correct or make it all up. Yeah, I think that's a, a good approach because it's just you're just asking for trouble when you like exactly. use stuff incorrectly. Exactly, and then you know people like me are gonna just like yeah. cringe when we see it. Yeah, you're just gonna alienate I, people. I, I don't know how many people would have cringed at the wormhole thing. Also, just because I feel like wormholes are a pretty well accepted like trope in science fiction now. Yeah, well, this is maybe they weren't at the time. So the date of this letter is October twenty third, nineteen seventy eight. Right. It just uh, I, actually, this makes me wonder what uh, what Isaac Asimov would have thought of Stargate because it's all about werewolves. I have no idea. I actually have no fucking clue. He probably would have liked it. I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah. Anyway, um, interesting. And that was my that was my rant about accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's super interesting, and it's super. I find it just super hilarious that they like had like. like well, most of this letter is about that wormhole thing. 
Yeah. Two thirds of this letter are about the wormhole thing. Yeah. Which it's is a like, point that they even mention is not that important. Yeah, like Jeff is like really fixated on the wormhole, or maybe Isaac was. And like I, I just, think just Isaac weird. was. I think he's just relaying Asimov's comments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well it's like <laughs> it's like just weird that they had like you know, they weren't giving Gene so much shit earlier on, but they have the like foresight to hire Isaac Asimov to look over it. To like make well, sure I mean, the science fiction. I don't know, I don't know if Gene would have objected to that. If he to, say that again, I, specifically, I don't. I don't know if Gene would have objected to that. Specifically, like you know, I mean, Isaac Asimov had had a fair amount of credibility at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I wasn't. I didn't say it yeah. like he. I don't. Yeah. I think Gene would have thought it was a good idea. I just mean yeah, it's exactly. just weird yeah, that yeah, the yeah. studio thought to do it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Like, I would have thought maybe even Gene would have reached out to him himself. Yeah, and maybe he did, and maybe it just it went yeah. through the studio, but... Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and anyway, we can move on to the actual filming, because <laughs> filming was a bit chaotic, it seems, as well. Yeah, yeah, like we were saying, like, they... We keep mentioning this, that the script was not done when they started filming, and that's got to just confiscate everything. Yeah, it's like... Like, and the kind of, like butterfly effect from that will kind of you see continues to happen so wise is he's he's a diligent like pre-planner he like really like who is this uh wise rubber wise yeah he like plans things out very particularly and he rehearses scenes apparently eight to ten times before shooting so you know he's he's a stickler that doesn't surprise me like you know watch fucking west side story or whatever like you know immaculately choreographed right yeah exactly like that's that that's true and and apparently he was like super likable director like nobody thought he was yeah i can imagine dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently even the, the what the sound mixer started a pool like uh, among the crew the crew about when wise would lose his temper first but he never like he had never a tantrum, did. never lost his temper wow. so everyone got their money back so so they were thinking that he would lose his temper based on just what a cluster fuck of a situation they were found themselves yeah, in. Yeah, they were like, "This is this is chaos. This is a cluster fuck. He's yeah. definitely gonna lose his start. He's gonna shout at somebody. The question is, yeah. how soon is it gonna happen? But he never, he never. Well, did. you know, that's what a true leader does. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if, if how how can the people who work for you be expected to keep their composure if you can't? He's it's he's taking uh, notes from Captain Kirk. Well, Captain Kirk loses his shit all the time. Bro. Yeah, I was just gonna say, more like Janeway. Um, <laughs> I don't know. She's she's had a couple of meltdowns too. A couple. So, but apparently, yeah, like we said, more. Why said that that this production had more small technical difficulties throughout production than any other film he's ever worked on. This is Robert Wise said that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, also like just in terms of the sophistication of like you know. Uh, the sets and all the effects and stuff that they had to be done. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you have a lot more uh, points of failure. And stuff's changing all the time, so I imagine you yeah. have more shit than you need. Yeah. Because you put work into stuff that you don't need. Yeah, and then you find out, like, oh, we're not doing this. Yeah, Robert Weiss called the day the Earth, when he made the day the Earth stood still, he called it a simple production in comparison. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, this, that was made, like, several years, like, significantly prior to this, so obviously it's going to be, like, you know, 
I think things get as more ambitious as you move forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Robert Wise kind of he credits kind of his like the the main maintenance of his sanity. He credits a guy named Zuby, um, whose name is is actually Maurice Zuberano, but he called him Zuby. Um, yeah. and, and this guy was like a like a storyboard artist who who was basically he was an alter ego of the director, and that's a quote like from Wise or not from Wise from the from uh, uh Wait, is this a real person? Yeah, Maurice Zuberano, Zuby. Okay. He he was he he described himself as an alter ego of the director because he okay. he was like basically his job was to know exactly what Robert Wise was thinking and like draw something to make it easier. So he would like just right. basically always be around just like frantically drawing shit. Okay. For, cool. And that apparently according to Wise was like kept him like on top of shit. Cool. Good job, Zuby. <clears throat> yeah, Zuby. Zuby kept shit MVP. fucking nailed down. So, the planet Vulcan was partially filmed in Yellowstone and partially filmed in a studio. Okay. I feel like that's odd because it's like not even that long of a scene. It is odd. It's not long of a scene, and frankly, the Yellowstone doesn't read at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, it seems like pretty clear that it's like, you know, it's hot wherever it is, I guess. Yeah. I guess, but like as soon like the close ups in a studio and there's like as you say, it's super short. So yeah. there's like not really any like there's like a few backgrounds, but like most of the time it's just like Spock kneeling on what is clearly a set. So it's like oh, okay. Um Yeah, I guess. So maybe there was the longer scene that they cut or something. Yeah, I mean See so this is the scene where they do the colonar. Yeah. 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 Should we talk a little bit about what the colonar is? Because I feel like they don't really explain it in the movie very well. They explain it briefly in the movie, but yeah, do you want to do you want to give it a little bit of a a background? All right, so um, so colonar, as per memoryalpha.com. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. not memoryalpha. Memoryalpha.com is not actually the address, but from memoryalpha. Memoryalpha.fandom.com. Yes. Colinar, as a word, describes both the Vulcan ritual by which all remaining vestigial emotions were demonstrated as purged, and the mental discipline whereby this state was subsequently maintained. Not all Vulcans were required to make this final journey to pure logic. The duration of the Colinar, quasi-monastic in nature, and could vary from two to six years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so basically, yeah, it's uh, it's the... It's like the final Ceremony. level of Vulcan. Yeah, it's like the final Vul- level of Vulcanism, and uh, it's like the highest level of Scientology. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it's that high. No, no, you I, don't like get... a lot of Vulcans have it. Right, right. Like right. Tuvok did, like a Colonar. Eh? Did he? Yeah. Well, he didn't do it in the show. He had done it though. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, Tuvok's a pretty good Vulcan. He's an excellent Vulcan. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so so talking about the sets, they were built by uh, production designer Harold Mickelson. Michelson? Mickelson. That's kind of interesting story because he was he was obsessed with space. Like he was he was a great guy for this job because he had an obsession with space. Um, yeah, which I think is a great quality. It's a great trait to have working on Star Trek. Exactly, especially when you're the production designer. Yeah, but. 
coincidentally, do you know what had triggered his uh his his love of space was in 1976 he he toured the uh tr- the actual spaceship formerly known as the Constitution but actually known as the Enterprise. Ah, the space shuttle. Oh, uh, yeah, the, sh- the shuttle. I mean, it, it was a space shuttle, but it didn't go to space. But it was a space-designed shuttle. But, yeah, that's that's kind of funny. So he got obsessed with, after visiting the Enterprise and touring the Enterprise, he got obsessed with space and then later got hired to be the production designer for uh, for Star Trek. So he designed to the inside of the... the Enterprise. Yeah. So it was, like, a huge project for Paramount that year because they ended up using over a third of the sound stages that Paramount had. <laughs> During the production, wow! Just for just to build the Enterprise in, yeah, basically, just like because that's where the film takes place. You know, it's the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's funny though because I feel like most of it just happens on the bridge, right? Although I, know, I guess they have weird. that big one, that one shot that's in that big like sort of auditorium-looking place. Yeah, that's true. And there's like there, uh, there's the colonnade, and then there's the the yeah. inside V'ger. Yeah, that's true. Um. So I have here kind of a, a breakdown of the, the the construction budget of each each uh, item. Yeah. And uh, as you can see, the bridge and the corridors and transporter room were the most expensive by far. Really, I was kind of thinking the engine room might be more expensive. Yeah. Well, the engine room is super interesting, but. We'll talk about that in a second, but I think it's mostly just because of how many, like, intricate little flashing lights are, like, facing the camera on the bridge. Yeah, on the bridge. On the bridge, yeah. Like, in the okay. engine room, like, the actual stuff is, like, the computers are around, but it's never, the the focus is obviously the the other thing. Right. Um, the, the, why am I blanking on it? What it's called. The warp core. Or whatever. So yeah, the, the the bridge costs two hundred grand to make, and the corridors and the transporter room costs. And I think that's and that's, the medical room and the medical. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, and the medical Kirk's quarters engine room. So that's 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 all wrapped up in one stage. Yeah, although you um, got a lot of mileage out of the corridors. Yeah, yeah, they did because they basically you know, just like, used. You know, there's there's so many different ways you could shoot corridors to make it look like a different. Room. Yeah, exactly. I think I and they just remember reading something about like on TNG or whatever. There was only one corridor set. <laughs> <laughs> they just shot would... it from a bunch of different angles. I think that's the same here. I think there's only one corridor, and they just like they just you know they light it differently, and they like yeah, exactly. shoot from different angles, and it's just like oh, different corridor. How are you going to exactly. tell the difference? Yeah, for sure. So the t- total construction costs were almost two million dollars. Which is uh, yeah, nineteen seventy-eight. Significant chunk of the budget. Quite quite a lot of money went into building everything. Well, the whole planet Vulcan only cost forty-two thousand dollars. Wow, that's a that's a steal. Exactly. I'd <laughs> pay that for planet. planet Vulcan. Yeah, yeah, that's I would take out a loan to buy Vulcan for that. <laughs> yeah. So th- this is a great fact um, that I I it didn't read to me at all while I was watching the film. In order to make the engine room look bigger. They used a force perspective. Ah, um, classic trick. Yeah, and uh, so the I, set. So was, I assume that means that, like, you know, things slant in the back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's it supposed deep. to. Yeah, because it was supposed to be like a few blocks, right? Long. Yeah. Um, and it was only about forty feet, and the floor slanted up, as you say. 
Um, yeah. And they, this is the best part to me. They put extras in the background of varying heights of three, four, <laughs> and five feet to further force the perspective. So, really? So they had to find some four-foot actors to – three-foot actors. Yeah, ex- uh, exactly. In the background. That's funny. That's, uh, I found that just amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was that was cool. Um, the other, I think, like super intense set was obviously the V'ger set because I think. Oh yeah, they re- no, that's gotta be, you know, one of the biggest. Like, uh, I mean, the whole that whole thing that they're walking along with all the, you know, tiles. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think I posted a picture of it on the Instagram. Um, oh, you did. Last week, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll post another one. But uh, yeah, it's super cool because, and this is super important. You know, it's the culminative scene happens in this room, so you know, it's got to look good. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys. Is, this who, is the climax here. Yeah. So one of the guys, one of the designers, is a guy named Leon Harris. He described the. Uh, yeah the set as a uh, a modern technical Stonehenge in a cathedral-like setting. I think that's spot wow. on. <laughs> yeah. So as I was kind of mentioning er- earlier about that kind of butterfly effect, just kind of like, you know, of the script, it, what that meant is that they had to build shit on the fly, you know? Yeah, it's like, oh, we don't know we're going to need this location or not, you know? Exactly. So apparently, like, they were making such shit so often and they were like you know had all these you know uh stages like full that the carpenters had to like hammer between takes you know because they were like oh yeah (laughs) building shit while they're filming like Um, on the same stage yeah yeah and like i think it got so like crazy they had to like they were like trying to cut corners every any way they could so normally i think at the time i don't know how it works now but at the time, to, like, you'd have two separate crews to, like, set up and tear down a set, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And they're two, like, unionized crews that do different things, I imagine. So in order to cut that, they just kind of had the same people just work, like, the whole thing (laughs) and just, like, set up and tear down in the same go. Yeah, wow. So I I don't know if that would fly nowadays. (laughs) I don't know, as long as you paid them enough. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Um, although I don't think that would be cutting costs. Yeah, that's a, kind of the point. So, um, Robert Fletcher did the uh, did the costumes. Oh yeah, that's interesting actually that you mentioned the costumes. Because uh, did you do you notice that this is the only uh, the only um, film in the series where they wear these costumes? They changed the uniforms after, like immediately after this. I yeah, yeah, I heard well, something about like Shatner or whatever said that they were like uncomfortable or. Well, it looks the short sleeve is terrible. Like we could just say we can agree on that, right? His yeah. like V neck short sleeve is not a good look. <laughs> the other uniforms are fine. The red I, ones, yeah, that they yeah. have in the next movies. Well, yeah, yeah I, those are pretty are, classic. Th- those are pretty good. I mean, they're a little weird, but. I meant Robert Fletcher's in this one. Does Robert Fletcher do the next movies? <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, let's find out. Yeah. Robert. Yeah, he did do the other movies. Pretty much all of them, yeah. Well, 
Yeah. But yeah, so that's interesting that he that's that he did all the all the costumes. So he he changed it dramatically after after uh after the first yeah. one because Shatner allegedly. Oh, I don't know if it was Shatner, but apparently uh in general, I don't I don't think they people thought they were comfortable. Yeah, well, they don't look comfortable, but they look kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, like they, there's a very '70s aesthetic to them. Yeah, well, which is all, uh, obvious because this is the only Star Trek film made in the '70s. Yeah, that's true. I uh, mean, the... it's not the only Star Trek made in the '70s because technically there was the the animated series, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's film. but that's not a film. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it it was Fred Phillips who did the original series makeup. So he they brought him okay. back to do the, the makeup and the alien masks. So apparently they had to make 50 masks and heads. Seems like a lot to me. Yeah. I don't remember seeing that many alien masks and heads in this movie. Oh, there were a couple, like in the Enterprise crew and all the Klingons. Oh, you know what? And yeah, and the, like, there's that scene Actually, this is this is the first appearance of the classic Klingon makeup. Yeah, that's true. It's the first time they have the head bumps. So sick. And you only see them at the, at the beginning there. Um, yeah, and I believe it's also the first use of the Klingon language. Yeah, it's like there's one short scene where he gets exploded. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're speaking Klingon, and they have head bumps. Yeah. The Klingons then, are complete. So during the production of, of the film, Fred Phillips passed his milestone of molding his 2,000th Spock ear. Oh, wow. <clears throat> So that just kind of goes to show you how many... How many did they have to make for the series? Shit ton. Yeah, like, did those things wear out real quick? Yeah, they went through three sets of ears a day, apparently. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, you probably should redesign those. Yeah. Like, (laughs) he he told this story um, where it was such an operation that... And he did it so often that he kind of had, like, this routine where he would... Because he had to bake them in, like, a kiln... Uh, um, so he had this routine where he would he he, he uh, make ears on the weekend, like his last batch of ears on the, on the of the week. He would put in as overnight, and then the 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 people would know to turn off the kiln in the morning. Yeah. Um, because it's supposed to be like eight hours or whatever. But like one weekend, the people forgot to turn it off, so the kiln was fucking burning all weekend. Yeah. Uh, and he came back and all charred ears. Obviously, yeah, they were. He he had to make a bunch of ears on the fly that day because he had no ears. Wow. Um, and that was for this film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was during wow. the film. You um, figure they could have saved some money if they they didn't have to make so many ears. Like, what was the ear budget on this? Yeah, who probably pretty fucking high, but they just yeah. you know I guess they just let Fred do what he what he's gonna do, and nobody yeah. thought to be like, wait, how many ear? What's your ear situation? Yeah, he didn't have the efficiency of uh, Michael Westmore. No, it seems not. No. No. Michael Westmore, uh-huh. for those who aren't familiar with the Star Trek, uh, you know, multiverse, it's uh, he's the guy who did like I think most of the makeup for most of the series, like uh, basically from TNG onwards. Right. So yeah, this is this is where it gets kind of a uh, <laughs> like bad. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, uh, what's her name? What's the actress's name who played? Um, 
Ilya? Who played Ilya? Yeah. Played... Yeah. What's her name? Uh, Persis Cambata. Yes. She had to have her head shaved daily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I should have assumed that she doesn't normally <laughs> have a shaved head. Have a fully, yeah, fully bald head. Yeah. As you can imagine, shaving your scalp every day is, like, not the most, like, pleasant thing pleasant. on no, your skin. I, I can imagine, in fact, that it is not. So, yeah, they had to, like, to keep up, like, this rigorous skincare routine to keep her scal- scalp healthy so that, like, her hair would grow back. So that's that's yeah, the first I, thing. Could they not have just used a bald cap? That's what I was thinking, and like it might have looked a bit weird, but like I mean, I don't know where bald cap technology was at that time, but yeah, like I feel like I feel they like could have made other, it happen. Yeah, I think they could have made it work. I don't know. Uh, so apparently, William Shatner would chew gum and blow bubbles while having his makeup done, which seems like it'd be really irritating. And apparently, one time he because he did it, I think, to tease the makeup guy. Uh, one time he blew a bubble and it just popped all over his face, like, just before there's, like, as he was it finishing on, the... on Shatner's face. Yeah. Just as they were finishing the makeup, and it was like he was about to go on, so it was like this whole fucking operation of, like, scraping all this fucking... Ew. I think he said he, he like, used the, the gum, and he, like, dabbed it off his face. <laughs> so who was doing this? It was just whoever was doing makeup then. Yeah. Yeah. So the only original props used in this film are the earpieces. Who are the earpieces? Okay, Apparently they're yeah. like... Well, I mean, they're like, you know, the props from the original series were like significantly worse in quality. Yeah, like I'm surprised even those were good enough to use. Like, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have used them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to look closely. So, yeah, and, and there, was, there was a few phasers, but obviously they updated the phaser. And... It, at at extreme cost, because apparently this new prototype cost four grand to make per phaser. I don't know. If, I don't necessarily think it was per phaser. I think it was just the prototype. Right. Wow. Must have been some sophisticated shit. But that's what I'm. I'm just like trying to think. Like literally, how? I mean, did like, it light up? Like, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Or was it just so, a dumb prop? Yeah, and it cost four grand. So. It's an expensive well, dump. I mean, I'm sure it would cost more than four grand now if you wanted to buy one. So it has actually appreciated in value. Yeah. So apparently Gene would like contact people at NASA. Yeah. To like main make sure he's like on the up and up. What what, what do you mean? With his, I think it was like they were like scientific accuracy kind of stuff. Oh, to try to you know make sure that he uh he he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the NASA engineers were just like, yeah, uh, you know, we'll take time out of our very busy schedules to uh, talk to you? Yeah, I think they were actually his friends, because I think he, like... Oh, okay, right, right, right. Or fans. Because I think... Yeah, because I, I think he, uh... They were, like, not... He didn't just talk to them for this film. I think they were, like, his his NASA contacts. <laughs> okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this, so then they, they got... They almost secured the actual Voyager Oh, yeah, model. for the film? The backup, or probably model. not, not the, actual... the one, because that was I assume in space at the time, but like like the backup or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, apparently it was just decided that it would just be easier and cheaper just to build a new one because they'd have yeah, to be super I mean, you'd careful have to be real careful it. with the uh, you know, the real thing. Yeah. So they had an astronaut continuing along with NASA. They had 
an Apollo Nine astronaut coach the actors and the uh, and the doubles on how to act on, in space. Oh, do you know um, who it was? Uh, I don't remember who it was. I don't know that that my the book I was reading said. Oh, okay. But I'm looking up Apollo Nine now because well, there I'm were curious. only three people on it. So who could it have been? It was either Commander James McDivitt, uh, Command Module Pilot David Scott, and Lunar Module Pilot Rusty Schwickert. Schwickert. Um, How's that spelled? S C H W E I C K A R T. Schweikert. So one of those three guys. If you want to know more about the Apollo missions, listen to our second episode. Yeah, well, I don't think it covers Apollo Nine, but I think it might. That was Does back it? when right. we were doing weird our dives were too deep for our own yeah. good. Yeah. So apparently there are thousands of miles of wiring. We we're talking about making the bridge earlier. There's thousands of miles of wiring involved in lighting the bridge. I don't think it was wired very safely. I think all the electronics in this movie were done pretty fucking haphazardly. Yeah. Because apparently at first the lights were melting the plastic of the console because they were just running too hot. That's no good, yeah. And then there's the incident with Chekhov's burn. Because, yeah, you remember in the movie, his arm gets burned. Yeah, what, did that happen for real? Well, okay, so this is. I'll read you an excerpt here. It says, Chekhov's burn scene was even trickier. Although the entire incident takes only a few minutes in the film, it took Alex many hours of preparation. First, a piece of aluminum foil was placed around the actor Walter Koenig's arm. Then a protective pad was added, and his uniform sleeve was pulled down in place. Alex prepared a compound of ammonia and an acetic acid solution. At the right moment, this was touched to Walter's sleeve and the interaction of the chemicals causing it to smoke. There were difficulties, and the procedure had to be repeated through ten takes. It was especially uncomfortable for Walter, whose arm was slightly burned when, despite precautions, some of the solution leaked through to his arm. His screams were not entirely acting. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Poor Walter. I feel bad for Walter Koenig, because it feels like he's been so shafted, like, in the history of Star Trek. He's the last man. Yeah, I know. He's the last guy. <laughs> yeah, and then he didn't. They didn't even let him be in the animated series. And then, no, like, yeah. you know, he's he's yeah, never he... had like any character development. Yeah, he no, he's they've never focused on him at all. Might be because he's yeah. Russian. I don't know, man. I think I think Chekhov deserves better. I agree. Maybe we should do a. We should push like a Chekhov series. Yeah, just Chekhov. <laughs> Would it be an yeah, origin knows, series or a, a post? Well, I mean, I think I I feel like Chekhov's origins are like on TOS. Like he seems to be fairly it's pretty early Chekhov. Yeah, um, um, but like, yeah, I want to know what what happens to him. Yeah. So, so that's pretty bad. Walter Koenig had it pretty bad, but he didn't have it the worst. <laughs> Persis Kambata, she had it the worst. It seems. Ah, besides having her head shaved. Besides having her head shaved every day, so apparently she the shower scene I mean, was not a good scene. Grow? Hmm. How fast does her hair grow? I guess well, you know. Fast. Yeah, well, I guess it's got to be completely bald. Exactly. You know the five yeah, they... o'clock shadow starts appearing. <laughs> yeah. On your head. Yeah. So apparently, she caught uh, tonsillitis from the shower scene. The shower scene is just a, it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. 
it seems, just because it was like the only reason was so that we could like see her almost naked. Um, right. And which is just weird because she's not supposed to be like, why are they sexualizing this probe? I I don't get wait, it. Wait, is this after she's already the probe? Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Weird. It's just weird. It's just yeah. weird. So, but in order to like, in order to make this shower, like the steam in the shower to make it look good, they had the, the mist that they pumped in was actually toxic. So she couldn't breathe while she was in there. Couldn't so they she just would use have to like, like fucking dry ice or some shit. I think, I don't know. But they, it was, it was toxic, and she had to leave. Quote, apparently, quote, leave frequently for fresh air. Um, more so, she apparently she cut herself on the fake wall when they when she had to break through it. How um, bad? Oh, right, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> it's like, what was that wall made of? Yeah, well, some sort of like metal apparently, and she like cut her hand. Really? What? Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a terrible idea. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And then, Could they just make it out of styrofoam or something? Yeah, I don't know. Like it just, I don't know. It was not a good, not a well done thing. Um, and finally, the light on her neck apparently was hot enough to burn her so much that it left a mark. Really? Like, Jeez. Like I guess that's... did they not? I guess they didn't have LEDs back then. No. So it's like, and I think the battery was like it was like a wire thin thing, and like the battery yeah. was hidden like in her back somewhere. Jeez, um, that's rough. Yeah, that was rough. Uh, but this last detail is about the uh, the lighting in the engine room, because that was super sick. Wait, so which scene are we talking about, or just in general in the in the? It's any uh, like the warp core, like oh, the, right, that right, right, massive right, right. tube thing, with yeah. like fluctuating light, like that. Yeah, so yeah. that thing was live. That was not post production. Oh, like. Um. That was happening. They filmed that while the actors were there, and that that blew my mind a bit, to be honest. I just assumed that was something to do with post production, because it looks so fucking cool. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to uh, look at that again. But yeah. So yeah, this effect was produced by uh, these two guys named Sam Nicholson and Brian Longbottom, and their story is super interesting. I won't. Okay. Yeah. I won't go. I won't go super into it, but these guys are, have a super fascinating story. Like they're just basically two friends who got really into um, like special effects, like making like abstract special effects and like lighting experiments. And they yeah. they made like a reel of like super hardcore next level shit, and it, they sent it in, and it just happened to make its way onto their desk. Like these guys are like you know. Our, they're 25 years old and they're like you know sent a random reel in and it got picked up by Star Trek it's like yeah that's pretty cool and then they just gave them this massive budget to make this fucking thing um according to I mean, uh that is a that is actually uh something that I will mention that is is kind of a a recurring thing throughout the uh history of Star Trek is that a lot of times they've just brought in random people who sent shit to them I think that's awesome. That's like like one of the one of the like biggest writers uh, of the later series, Ronald D. Moore, uh, literally just sent in a script to Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then they're like, "All right, you want to write some more?" And then he ended up like becoming like uh, produce like one of the showrunners of like uh, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Like that's how it's, that's also that's you, just... you uh, some people probably know Ronald D. Moore for also creating Battlestar Galactica the reboot. 
so finally, that's that's basically it with production. Shooting took 125 days. So that's how they pro- that's that was the production. So they made their rough cut and they send it off to guess who? Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. <laughs> So then we have w- kind of one more section, one more segment before we we close her off with our final thoughts. Is it just this one? Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the truth. All right, so we're going to talk about the Voyager program, you know? This is the real shit. So on this segment, you know, we like to 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 find something in this movie and then talk about how it how it's real and true. And sometimes that manifests as as actual facts and sometimes it manifests as as talking about aliens. You um, know, you could you could talk about aliens today. I, to, well today it could have been bo- it, it really could have been both. Route to that. It, it could have gone both ways. It could have gone both ways at the same time, really. So, so should we talk about the aliens that uh, that the machine planet that uh, Voyager goes to? Oh, I, I was actually th- I, I never brought this. We never brought this up in the last episode, but I just want to note that Viger uses the phrase "resistance is futile." Uh, yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. It's a. Uh... Kind of a foreshadowing. Uh, foreshadowing, uh, you know, those uh, those people who are fans of Star Trek will uh, will know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, where so where did who uh, where did he get this technology? Where did, where did, where did, where did, what what was the machine planet? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, we'll never know. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Talk about aliens or whatever. No, no, there's no aliens this week. We're talking about actual Voyager, diggity. This is real stuff. This is the actual. Voyager program. Okay, yeah, but there's a little bit about the actual Voyager that a little bit has to do with aliens. Yeah, it's true. The Voyager, I mean, inherently, it's it's super alieny, really. I mean, Voyager. So Voyager program is it's currently ongoing. It's that's what's so sick yeah, about you it. You know, somehow those fucking batteries are still running. Like it might be the coolest, like NASA program like maybe other than the moon landing but like yeah i don't know man let's see what happens with the james webb space telescope yeah that's true yeah um pretty cool shit but you know. yeah yeah this is this is this episode is made pre that so and who knows well it's it's, it's kind of happening right now it's in yeah, if you're listening of... to this in the future and we yeah, already... if you're listening to this in the future and the james webb space telescope has spectacularly failed that's too bad <laughs> or, that's too bad or if it's found aliens and we're living in a different exactly so it could be yeah 
Um, anyway, so <laughs> the, the Voyager program, basically they're two probes that were launched in 1977. And yeah. in 1977... Basically ripped for this movie. Yeah, basically. So the reason that they did it like uh, in 1977 was because Jupiter and Saturn were like kind of aligned in a in a favorable way so they like could kind of bounce off of them well yeah they so. they, they were able to plan a trajectory that used the minimum amount of fuel and let them visit both planets exactly um uh, so, so how did he there this is the first time they'd ever sent a probe to Jupiter or Saturn right yeah yeah this is like this is the first time they're like going like this far out yeah basically you know. They're voyaging. Yeah, it's this voyager. Frontier. They're going where no one has gone before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, no one. Yeah, well, no well, humans. Mean, no human has still been there, but you know. Yeah. One day. One day. Yeah, one day. Although um, you know. So they, the, the like I said earlier, the cool thing about voyagers is still fucking going. As of uh, as of 2021, the two Voyagers are still in operation past the outer boundary of the helosphere and in interstellar space. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, partial, like, you know, operation. Like, I'm sure they don't have enough power to run all the instruments anymore. No, but they continue to transmit useful yeah, data yeah, to yeah, Earth. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's that's like, pretty damn cool. Like, like, I don't think we're uh, getting photos back anymore. No, no, definitely not. Um, but here's a great quote. Um, it's from a guy named Stephen J. Pine. I'm not sure who he is, but Voyager did things no one predicted, found scenes no one expected, and promises to outlive its inventors. Like a great painting or abiding institution, it has acquired an existence of its own, a destiny beyond the grasp of its handlers. Wow. That's it, such a good quote. Yeah. You know, and then then it you know, it came back. It's gonna turn into V'ger and come back. Yeah. It's gonna come back nomad. and find us. So this this I I've included a link here in the tr- in the outline, which is a super interesting website that you can go to. That it's the Voyager mission status and it shows you where the Voyagers are in space. Oh, that's cool. It's super cool, and it's like a 3D diagram of the uh, our solar system. Oh wow, that's and, really far. <laughs> and they show you that, yeah, they show you the perspe- perspective from Voyager. So I urge all. You know, this is actually listeners. something that I didn't think about, but now that I see it, it makes a lot of sense. Is that what? the direction that Voyager travels is the opposite? of the way that I imagine when I look at it. But it kind of makes sense, because that means that the dish is pointed back to Earth. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because yeah. Yeah. you would... I don't know. You assume that the side with the dish is, like, you know, quote-unquote, the front. Yeah. But it's actually the opposite direction that it's moving. Yeah, it's, it's facing us. Yeah. But, yeah, that's 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 really damn cool. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, so yeah, I I urge all the any all listeners to check out the the. Um, so Voyager the two website. is actually the one that's further away, right? Yeah, well, because Voyager two was actually launched first. Um, oh, it was. Yeah, which I'm not sure exactly why. I think it's because they like changed their plans kind of last minute about what they were gonna do. 
So they they just launched Voyager two first. Right. So here's this is this is interesting. Um NASA indicates if we define our solar system as the sun and everything that primarily orbits the sun, Voyager 1 will remain within the confines of the solar system until it emerges from the Oort cloud in another 14,000 to 28,000 years. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of distance between the solar system and anything else. This is like, I just find Voyager, like, it's such a, like, yeah, it really makes me think. You know, like fucking because it's thing. it's just it's so far yet also so close. You know what I mean? Yeah, like we're getting information, and it's it's literally the farthest thing from us. Yeah, it, that's I mean that's a, it's an amazing achievement. Like I, 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 it's unfathomable how far away it is right now. <laughs> it's the farthest away that anybody has ever sent anything. It's the farthest you know? away that we know a thing can be. Well, no, that's not true. That we know for sure. What do you mean? With tangible evidence, we have physical. I mean, that's evidence. what you mean by tangible evidence. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm talking out my ass like, now, but we still. know what the distance between Earth and like Alpha Centauri is. You know what I mean? No, I, I was getting philosophical know, there in the sense yeah. that that we don't know that it exists. You know, but that's the uh, dumb. We're, we know it exists. Point over. Yeah, we yeah. we. I mean, we are. You know, we don't know that scientists know anything. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're living in a simulation, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, there, it's Elon. The, yeah, exactly. It's the Matrix. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's 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 the truth. That's Voyager. They're still fucking powering through. Yeah, you know. And uh, hopefully, they'll keep giving us information for many years to come. Hopefully, they find aliens. Uh, or aliens find it. They find the record, yeah, the golden more record. likely that'll be, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention the golden record. I mean, everybody knows about the golden record, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, well. Did you want to just give a ex- super brief rundown of the golden okay, record? Okay, well, actually, what a lot of people don't know about the golden record is that it's not entirely an audio disc. No? It's not like a regular record at all. What is it? Uh, it's actually got pictures on it. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, got two so, sides. One side is like kind yeah. Of one like side a is just audio, right? Yeah. And then the other side is like this encoded, you know, uh, bunch of pictures and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's got um. Like, and the, the, and like, they they attempted to draw on the cover about how, you know, one alien would build a device that would play this back. You know, I don't think they put in that much effort into this because I don't think they have a realistic expectation that anybody yeah. who found it would be able to, like, actually figure out how to use it. <laughs> yeah, it's got, like, kind of, like, what they tried to do is put the simplest form yeah. of explanation of stuff, like, in terms of, like, they put, like, binary code and, like, um, they, like, yeah. showed, like, uh, that they understand a diagram of a hydrogen atom, you know, stuff yeah. like that, where it's like, if you look at it and you don't know anything, like, maybe you could figure it out. Maybe, um, I don't I was... know. But, I mean, that's the thing is, like, if if there was an alien Voyager flying through our system, our solar system right now, would we even see it? Yeah, would we? It would would have we to, even like, find it? Like, it would have to fly pretty Because it would be so small Earth. by comparison, right? Yeah, like, it would have to fly pretty close to Earth for us to even notice it, wouldn't it? I think so. I don't know. 
not an I mean, I, on that, but it's true. I don't really know how far, how how much. Well, I mean, I think traffic. It's not. It's not so much the distance. It's like you know, I I think that if we knew where it was, we'd be able to see it. But there's just right. so much space. There's just debris and like there's constant. There's just shit flying through it. So yeah. So like if we knew where it was, we could point a camera at it. We could point like you know the James Webb Space Telescope or something at it. Yeah, exactly. Could, like, be able to see it, but like you know, it's like a needle in a haystack, right? Yeah, exactly. If you don't know, it's there. Yeah. It's like a needle in a haystack that you don't know is there. <laughs> I mean, how many needles do you know are in haystacks? As far as I know, there could be several. Yeah. There's an unknown quantity of haystack needles yeah, in the haystack. An um, undefined. But yeah. So who knows? Maybe there could be an alien Voyager flying through our solar system right now. We don't even know it's there. That is an interesting thought. Yeah. I hope I mean, there is. You know, somebody at, why? Well, I mean, I hope we find it if there's yeah. there. I hope it crash lands in anyway, my backyard. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I just also want to clarify for people that like that they did put this golden record in Voyager, but the 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 primary purpose of Voyager is not to contact aliens. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I uh, like it's, they they included that was uh, kind of an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, and what's the other yeah. thing? The uh, the uh, the other plaque. There's another plaque that has like that Carl Sagan worked on. Similar idea. Yeah. Um, just just it's just kind of like philosophical stuff for for humans um and i think people have like also there i've heard people be like they shouldn't have done that man the aliens are gonna know how to kill us now <laughs> i mean it's like man yeah, i mean i don't think any i don't think that's the, gonna make the, the difference to kill us like you know and they could get to us exactly you know? that's that's not gonna i don't think the they need voyager for that exactly <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, we've rambled enough about Voyager in space, so let's let's f- bring it back for the last final little bit and talk about your final thoughts of this movie. I think it was which is Star Trek the motion picture. Underrated film. Because I think underrated. a lot of people don't like it. And <laughs> why do you think people don't like it? Because people think it's boring. Is the vibe that I got, but I think it's good and I think it it makes you think. I think it's yeah, I think it's like it's there are silly moments for sure, but that's kind of just par for the course with Star Trek, you know. Yeah, Especially... I mean, I don't think. It, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but like, I don't think it's you know the silliness that puts people off. I think it's because I mean, if you like Star Trek, you know, I mean, you have to. You have to accept that. that. Yeah. You know. But uh, yeah, you know. I thought it moved at a great pace, and I think last week we mentioned the fact that the first half hour was just for hard diehard fans, runners, basically. Yeah, yeah, which is totally understandable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, these people have been waiting. Give people what they want. Yeah, exactly. Although, like based... a lot of people said they wa- it wasn't what they wanted. Well, you know, you, it, it was never gonna be. It was like when you know Star Wars came back just now. Like, no one. It's never gonna be. I mean, that's. Inherently it's funny, different. You say just it was, now, but it's been like several years. Whatever, it's been like almost ten years since the first one came out. But still, the point is, actually, the it's point is that long. they're not the same at all because those are yeah. terrible. But at least the ones that I saw. Stop were. talking about Star Wars. It's not one. Yeah, sorry. Here. Yeah, I, I might even cut that out. You know, I'm not. This a, is a trek. Trek episode. This is a trek episode. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this is probably underrated. I think it's. I think it's good. I think it's really good Star Trek. I think it's an excellent like step back in exactly and like i think it's also interesting it's like 
it's the one glimpse into like you know what the 70s version of star trek is yeah you ever get because it's exactly. like exactly you know, every it's, other it's a, decade has had star trek in it it's the glimpse into the desert years like we're seeing the yeah 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 i think we're pretty high on this movie yeah higher than most people i think yeah i think so like there's definitely stupid parts yeah um but again, i mean i you think say, you know we could have we could have used a better like explanation about what was going on with the colonar and everything yeah yeah i think there's a few there's a there's definitely a few things that could have been improved it's definitely not yeah, a perfect the wormhole movie. bit is probably unnecessary but uh you know Good adaptation of the episode The Change. Yeah, I think they they made something out of that nightmare. <laughs> like, yeah. Not that the, the episode was a nightmare. I just mean it. Gene described it as a nightmare, making it. So. Yeah, creating the the process. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, that was a that was a chunky episode, but very chunky. But we, uh, uh, indeed. We got through it together. Yes, we did. So. Congratulations, listeners. I'm congratulating you for listening to the episode. Well, as you should be. You are a... So, uh, yeah, that's... that's. Well, I think it's done. Yeah, it's done. I We're, think that's it. Yeah, Good movie. Good movie. Yeah. So, we'll be back next week with a, with a whole different film. Whole different. All right. <laughs>